0: With a career covering nearly two decades, Mining International partners with new and junior miners and larger predominant players in the market. With no further ado, here is your
1: host, Rob Tyson. Hi, it's Rob again with another episode of the Dig Deep, the Mining Podcast. And today's guest, we have Liz Puddy, who is an experienced crisis emergency management consultant who has worked with many mining companies over the years in helping them uh, with the development of their crisis emergency management plans and procedures. Um, it's a subject that's not necessarily spoken about daily, I suppose, but needs to be put in place and it should be something, uh, should something happen unexpectedly and to obviously minimise any damage or injury. Um, I'll let Liz explain everything about uh, around this obviously topic. So I'd like to welcome Liz Puppy. How are you doing, Liz? Yeah, well, thanks, Rob. That's good to hear. Um, Thanks a lot for obviously agreeing to do this uh, podcast. And I think it's a subject that needs to be spoken about. Um, If you can sort of tell the audience a little bit about yourself um, from where, uh, obviously, you've been in the industry for, I think, nearly 20 years now. So if you can just um, share a little bit about your journey from back then to where you are today, and then I've got a number of questions I'd like to ask you.
2: Okay, thanks. Um, Yeah, so I started my career in risk with BHP, or more specifically, BHP Transport and Logistics. And back then, BHP had a fleet of ships transporting products globally. And as such, they introduced crisis and emergency management to their business back in the early 90s. I was fortunate at that time to be, I guess, one of the people that was nominated and trained in that response process. They had consultants come out from London at that time because, as you say, crisis and emergency management – wasn't really, it's still it's getting more spoken about now, but it wasn't really um, big back then. Yeah. And then so they rolled out a complete kind of training package and trained up a whole bunch of us and we had dedicated teams and the likes. And then not long after that rollout was completed, BHP had a vessel run aground in Tasmania, Australia. Okay. And as a result of that, all our training was pretty much put to pretty good use. So that particular response went on for a number of months. And I can honestly say after that, I was pretty much hooked. Um, Crisis and emergency management for me, I guess, from that point forward was the passion that so many people seek in a career and I found it, which was great. And then after that uh, event, I was then approached by my manager at the time to see if I would consider taking on the role of maintaining crisis management within Transport Logistics Group, which I willingly accepted. And from that point forward, we went on to not only, I guess, maintain that division's competency, but developed capability across the larger organisation, which was what, um, yeah, which worked really well. It was an opportunity that I definitely didn't take at the time and I still don't take for granted and will be forever grateful for because it kind of set me on the path that I've been on for, as say, for the last 19 odd years. Then, and yeah, so it was around 2002 that I left BHP Transport. They did a JV with another shipping company. So I took the opportunity to, excuse me, to venture out on my own. And I must say the credit for starting out on my own doesn't really lie with me. My husband was the one that strongly encouraged me to have a crack on my own. Um, But at the time he was self-employed and um, perhaps this is the risk person coming out of me. But I thought how on earth do, you know, two parents survive if we're both self-employed? And at the time we had two small children. I thought sure we'd starve to death or something similar. But with his encouragement I did and I've never looked back. And yeah, 19 years and still going strong and loving every moment of it. Yeah, so
1: um, I suppose to kick off, um, what is crisis emergency management? Um, and in your view, what does a good crisis, a good crisis emergency management look like?
2: So crisis and emergency management for me, I guess, is about having an appropriate framework and response process in place uh, for organisations. So to make sure that they're able to mount an effective, controlled, and coordinated—and they're two words that I use. Often when talking about crisis and emergency management, you've got to have that controlled and coordinated response So if they've got a good framework good process good documentation in place to make sure that they can respond to any incident Which might impact their business So you definitely can't do a cookie cutter approach. It's got to be tailored to the needs of the business the process I implement across all of my clients is the same but I've got to make sure that we tailor it. So you've got to have the right framework. You've got to look at their threats and their risks. Make sure you've got the right trigger thresholds, and you're utilising, you know, their resources um, to make sure it suits their needs. So, and giving them the confidence and the capability that it doesn't matter what pops up at them, they're going to be able to mount a response. And then these days, this day and age, that's got to be pretty much a twenty four seven response capability.
1: Yeah, and what kind of I suppose situations would you call it a crisis or emergency in your view and what you've experienced
2: yeah i guess that's different across different organizations so yeah. and the thres- thresholds are always very different as well so more mature businesses their thresholds can be quite because they're business as usual um and business continuity strategies are a lot stronger and a lot more mature yeah but that's part of you know developing those triggers and those thresholds but comms is a big one you know so reputation and brand is one that can you know very quickly this day and age with social media and the likes push those barriers and put yep. out push us into response mode we then have your pandemics and epidemics which seem to be becoming more prevalent um you've got all your operational impacts uh, you've got weather implications so they're the one they're the common ones i guess that yep. we see a lot of um but the operational ones are the ones that put a lot of variety in what I do because yeah. obviously each organization has different risks in that yeah. space. So what would you say,
1: for instance, like a, a, a smaller operation, a smaller mining operation compared to a lot larger mining operation? Is there a lot of differences in terms of a, a crisis emergency management that plan that you put in place?
2: The process is the same. Yeah. Um, There's not a lot of differences. No, the process is the same, but it's the resources that are um, kind of different. And the only other thing that changes a lot is their risk profile could be very different as well. But the process is pretty much the same. And we've got to, when I say the process, so how we respond is the same, but how we set you up will be very different because your framework may differ. A large organisation may have what we call our standard three-tier response framework. Whereas in smaller organisation, we may have a two-tiered response framework. Understands,
1: understand, yeah. I um, just want to go back, obviously, um, just on your journey, when you mentioned that you started off on your own. How was that and how did you sort of develop yourself and move through that whole process to where you are today?
2: Yeah, it's funny. It's, um, I think I've been very fortunate in that space. Uh, as I said, I didn't go begrudgingly um, out of my own, but I went yeah. very tentatively out of my own. And I, I suppose I went with the attitude that, well, if it doesn't work, I'll just get a normal job like normal people. You know, I'll yeah. give it six months. And, um, and that will kind of appease my husband because, hey, I had a crack at it and it didn't really work. And, you know, so now I'll just go and get a normal job. And then, as I say, I think – my phone started ringing. I still remember that day very vividly. My phone started ringing in the January and through good luck or I think networks is the big one. You've got to keep those networks. You never burn a bridge. You yep. um, network huge and I've never had to market my business to this day, which I know is really bad, but I still don't have a web page. Um Because, yeah, I've been really fortunate in that space. So word of mouth and maybe, you know, I'd like to think that the work speaks for itself. Yeah. And, yeah, so I've been really lucky in that space.
1: Yeah. Um, Obviously, um, this is a mining podcast and obviously you do a lot of work with mining companies. But what other sectors do you you cover as well?
2: Yeah, so I do. um, Yeah, obviously mining. I do a lot in mining. But I do do a lot for, um, so not-for-profits. I do a lot in the health um, education space. We also have some finance clients, leasing clients. So it's quite broad, um, which is great. In my early days, I used to be very much um, mining and transport and logistics, but in the last probably 10 years, it's moved into those other areas, which is great. So it gives me – I guess it gives me a bit of durability as well um, in declines and the likes, so – Of different industries
1: so yeah it's been great yeah so what kind of services do you provide a mining company so if a mining company gives you a call uh what kind Mm -hmm. of services obviously i take it depending on the size of the organization but generally speaking what would what services would you actually provide them or can offer them
2: yeah so normally um So if it's a mining company that's been in the business a while, they will have had a crisis and emergency management plan and they've dusted it off and they've realised, hey, this doesn't really suit our business anymore. So I come in and help them with doing a review and tailoring that to their current needs um, and proposed, you know, growth. So I come in and do a lot of reviewing um, and develop that framework again or realign that framework and realign the process as well to make it a lot more durable and easy. I think that's one of my biggest tasks that I do is, I guess, uh, undoing a lot of the complexity that have been put into existing plans and frameworks. So keeping it simple is, you know, it's so imperative to a good crisis and emergency management framework and process. And for whatever reason, we seem to have overdone that um, in the last 10, 15 years. So, coming back, simplifying it, making it something that people are willing to use. So, that seems to be a lot of my market with existing uh, mining companies that have been around for a while. And then the newer ones, it's, you know, the outcome is exactly the same, but it's coming in and introducing them to the crisis and emergency management process, what they can get out of it, and designing that framework and process again.
1: Yeah. So, I suppose, like you said, m- making it simple so everyone can understand it, and everyone can follow it. Um, and I suppose yeah. as yeah. as a mine evolves, as it gets bigger, their plans do alter and change with the environment. Yeah. So that, I suppose that's where you... So you might go, you might visit, you might have repeat customers where you would go and help them with their management plans, um, or crisis emergency management plans, and then a few years later when they may have doubled in size, their, their their plans would have changed or they need it updating or altered slightly.
2: Yeah. And a lot of my clients are repeat clients. So yeah. because not only – so as you say, but we, we tend to do that annually, review their documentation, and we do that by doing training exercises. So running those desktop exercises, utilising Credible, scenarios so what keeps those that senior management team awake at night at that particular time yep. running scenarios about that testing are we in a good position to respond to something like that if we need to and what we tend to do by doing those credible scenario trials is then creating a checklist to say well okay we know if we have a incident like that that we need to respond to here are our top 10 15 things that we should consider because we worked that out by yep. doing that exercise. Yeah. Um you're so, yeah, based... lots of repeat Yes, yeah, sorry, Kevin. No, that's fine. I was just going to say you'll get lots of repeat business in that space by making sure that we maintain that capability by running those exercises.
1: Yeah. You're you're based in Melbourne, Australia. Um, yeah. and I, t- I take it you, I take it you don't just work within Australia um and probably work more acro- across other countries and continents um how do you sort of manage that and obviously you you probably you will have to go and visit sites and
2: that how how do you how how do you manage that on a larger scale yeah so i guess it's funny um when you live in australia it just becomes kind of second nature that we're going to get used to long plane trips and i have the innate um built-in skill that i can pretty much sleep standing up which is always beneficial but you do find that when you travel um, you know, lots of people saying, oh, I'd really love to go to Australia and visit Australia, but, oh, my God, it's just so far away. And, man, who'd want to be on a plane for 20-odd hours? Um, but as I say, we get used to it, so that part of it is okay. And I guess just when I, um, I do have clients in Africa and um, different parts of the world, obviously, so when I'm doing those longer-haul flights, we just make sure I work with the client to make sure that we get the most bang for our buck and I wouldn't go for days. I would go for a week, if not weeks. Okay. To make sure that we can get what's done in that face-to-face time, but also, I think with um, you know, the improved technology and communications that are in place these days, working remotely from the client is much much easier as well.
1: Yeah, certainly, certainly. I'm I'm in the same business as well, so um, yeah, I understand where you're coming from there. Um, apart from the uh, the obvious, what other benefits can organisations reap from having a good crisis emergency management plans in place?
2: Um, I think with those doing the exercises, I think, you know, I think it's probably twofold. It allows senior managers to have the confidence that we have a plan, we have a process, we've trialled that process, and we've got the confidence that if something does go wrong or if we do need to respond, we will be able to put in place a good controlled and coordinated response regardless of who's on site or regardless of who's available and when the incident occurs. And I think with the training exercises, it really starts to break down barriers because everybody has to come together for that, you know, end goal of how we're going to put in place that response for this particular incident. So you see a lot of barriers breaking down. You also see, you know, a lot of individuals who don't necessarily have, I guess, the in their day-to-day job, they can't shine. They just they get about. They're good workers. They do what they do. But sometimes those kind of people can really shine in responses. So there's some really great stories that I've seen and I've witnessed in that space as well, and just giving people the confidence um, that yeah, you know what, if something does go wrong, it may not be perfect, but we're going to be able to put in place a good response. Yeah, um, I
1: mean, what challenges do does the mining uh, does mining companies have around crisis emer- uh, crisis emergency management, um, and what do you see what do you see as a lack? In the industry around this around this area obviously if you deal with a lot of a lot of companies within the mining industry and they have and you go and see look at their management plans and you think god we've got a lot of work here is there a is there a common theme that you see
2: i think that The overcomplicating is a common theme. I think that's, you know, something that we've inherited um, from 20, 15 odd years ago is that unless you had a two-inch binder sitting on your desk, it clearly wasn't a good plan. So, you know, we've got to break down that barrier and that's getting much, much better. I think the new one is obviously social media and the communications. So looking after our brand and reputation is that something that we've, you know, that's been a big focus, whereas before we are always very operationally focused. So I think our risks are changing um, and our threats are changing. And so just having the flexibility and the confidence to move with that doesn't mean that we need a whole new plan. It just means that we need to tweak it and make sure that we keep up with the times. So, yeah, I think it's that constant change in threats and triggers. That's the the difficult one.
1: Yeah. And how often would you say a company should look and update their crisis uh, emergency management plans is, is there I'm pretty a set, is, strong
2: yeah I was
1: going to say is there I'm a pretty set strong on or, that? yep
2: yeah I think it should be at least every 12 months okay so mature organisations um, every 12 months and others you know we've got to do it often enough to make sure that we are confident in our capability to be able to respond So even in a mature organisation, you know, we should be practising good scenarios, as I say, at least annually. People learn by watching good operators respond. So it's a great learning tool. Uh, It continually, you know, builds our capability and we maintain that um, ability to respond. So at a minimum every 12 months, definitely. Okay.
1: And I I suppose it's a subject, like I said, people don't speak about every day. And when something does happen, they wish they had uh, a plan in place. So I mean, are you a proactive or reactive provider? Um, and are you able to sort of assist organizations in responding, um, or is your primary focus helping them prepare for uh, the readiness of something potentially happening?
2: Uh, I guess my strength is being that proactive provider and that's where the majority of my business lies, thank goodness, because we might be in a worse state if all I did was that reactive response. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so proactive, making sure that they are prepared is where my forte, I guess not my forte, I guess that's where the business is and where the, what the business is targeted towards, but I can definitely help uh Organisations respond and my strength is obviously in the facilitation of that process and letting them utilise their technical expertise um, to respond doing that process. But if I go in at the, front, um, at the front end and help them design, you know, good frameworks, processes, we train regularly, then, you know, fingers crossed they should be capable enough and I should have left them in a good space that they can, you know, respond on their own. The only time i normally go in to help them support uh, if something went wrong would be if they were low on resources because it's normally you know holiday period or for whatever reason or if they're immature in that space i can come in and help them with a reactive response which i have done from time to time okay um and obviously
1: crisis management isn't a revenue maker so i suppose some companies may may put that to to the side and again probably only use something like this if if something drastically did happen so how do you sort of convince people or companies that it's important to have these these plans these plans in place
2: yeah so fortunately for me by the time i get the call the businesses have pretty much already recognized that they need or want a crisis and emergency management framework and process but i get where you're coming from and i think what's extremely important um is to ensure that I work with them to make sure that they tailor it and they can see the benefit and that um, and I can demonstrate to them that, you know, there is a benefit in having this. And, yeah, you're not going to make any money from it per se, but if you ever need to use it, there's a the potential to definitely save a lot of money. So, you know, crisis and emergency management is like that insurance policy that we all begrudge paying, um, but if you ever need to use it, you're very thankful that you've got it. Yeah, so I just, I just need to make you know, I guess make the instalments seem um, a bit more worthwhile and that's by providing those credible scenarios, tailoring it to their needs, not over it.
1: Yeah. Um, obviously, you mentioned um, previously that you don't actually necessarily market your business and all your business comes from, obviously, referrals and people, I suppose, people that you've uh, known also in the industry. Um, is it mm-hmm. something that you're looking to do maybe moving forward um, where you can sort of market your business sort of to main, maintain growth and maybe looking to move into different areas or sectors. Uh, I suppose if we're talking about mining, maybe moving to different um, locations, countries, etc.
2: Yeah, um, I guess at this point, it's not something that I, I've something I guess, that I've toyed with. Um, I'm definitely not, not a marketer. Um, so I've been very grateful and very thankful that I haven't had to market my business um, to date and you know I know it's old school but word of mouth has worked very well for me up until now so but yeah I I, I suppose it's something that I haven't really looked at in great detail um, but if I needed to I would definitely be reaching out to um, someone that could help me in that space and I guess the difference would be, if I wanted to reach out into different, um, as you say, different locations or potentially I'm um, doing a lot of resilience framework uh, work at the moment where crisis and emergency management is just one of those pillars um, to make sure that organisations do have that resilient framework. So maybe that's something that, you know, I will be targeting in the future.
1: Yeah. Um, and as a small business, what challenges come with that being a small business working? in, a, I suppose, a global and worldwide industry?
2: Definitely work-life balance at times. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as I said uh, earlier, I do love what I do, so I'm very fortunate in that space as well. And I do have, you know, a handful of reliable and talented um, subcontractors that I can call on for support if and when I need, and I definitely do try and lean in on those people um, if I need to. Um, but mostly it's just me that's the way I've liked it up until now, but it's a bit like the marketing angle. I think moving forward, it's probably something that, um, yeah, I'll be looking at a little bit more seriously. Yeah.
1: Okay. And as a conclusion, um, why should companies have a crisis emergency management plan? I'd imagine most would, but there might be some out there that don't necessarily have something, I suppose, practical in place. Um, mm. But why should why should they have a, a a crisis emergency management plan in place?
2: I think you're right. I think most would, but whether or not it's practical um, is probably the question. We've probably all got something that we need to have it for governance and we need to have it, you know, to make sure that we can, you know, get a operating licences and the likes. But whether or not it's practical and whether or not it's going to be useful. So why do we need a good one? I think we need a good one because, as I said, it's like your insurance policy. If something happens, you want to know that you can mount that response, and you've got to be able to mount that response to, you know, a save lives, a look after your people, your assets, and then ultimately your reputation and your business. So um if you're starting behind the eight ball and you find yourself in that situation it's a really hard game playing catch up so crisis and emergency management isn't something that you can kind of just wing you do need to have that preparation
1: yep certainly certainly well really appreciate your time liz um for um obviously talking about um and emergency management plans and like you said some 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 people will have these Like I said, it might not necessarily be practical, but it is something that is essential, especially in mining, Um, especially with with a lot of, it's a heavy industry and a lot of things that have gone on more recently. And I think they do need to have these plans in place. So I really appreciate providing um, the audience with um, your your knowledge around this subject. If um, our audience wants to contact you, how can they go about doing that?
2: Yeah, sure. So, my email is lizputty, that's all one word, at bigpond.com. Yeah, shoot me an email and, yeah,
1: that'd be great. Yeah. And are you on any social media platforms?
2: Uh, not really. I'm okay. so bad, aren't I? Um, but, yeah, no. I think so you're pretty on LinkedIn
1: because I did, uh, did see I right. am
2: on LinkedIn. Yes, yeah, see, there you go. I am. Yeah. I am on LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. So maybe and, watch.
2: yes, and you'll find me under the same Liz Putty or... Elizabeth Putty, but yep. um, yeah, you
1: will find me there. So maybe you might need to start checking that if um, our audience wants to uh, contact you. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I definitely do check it. Yeah, but I forget that I am. Yes, I am quite progressive. Look at yeah. that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, alternatively, you can con- if you've got any questions for Liz, um, alternatively, you can contact myself and I can pass any messages on on, on to her. And my email address is rob at mining-international.org um really appreciate your time Liz, for providing that information um hope the audience have got a lot from that um because i think it's like i said it's not spoke about daily but it may be something um, you need to start thinking about more so um so i really appreciate your time hope everyone enjoyed it and until next time happy mining
0: thanks for listening to dig deep the mining podcast If there are any topics you want discussed or questions you want to ask any guests, then you can email us at rob at mining-international.org. Or you can follow Rob and Mining International on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter and YouTube for more content and to have your questions answered. Until next time, happy mining!